So last week I was away, uh, at a, I was actually in Calgary for the weekend at a, as a conference, a, a conference that was specifically for pastors. Can you imagine that? Right? 50 pastors in a room. You know, what, what could we possibly learn? Right? Um, but, but we discovered there's a lot that we can learn. Um, and uh, this has been, as you know, I'm fairly new to pastoral ministry, but this has been part of my journey as being your pastor for the past year, as we have crossed that year threshold, um, is that as I approach each text when I'm preaching, my, my heart is broken and it, I wrestle. And I hope that comes across in preaching. I hope that comes across today because as we talk about prayer and our core value of being steadfast in prayer, this is hard. It's hard. Our series that we're in uh, is called Everyday Mission. And what the, the reason why uh, we're calling it this is because um, I think oftentimes we can we can have a hard time connecting the gospel to what happens every day, to the ins and outs of our lives. But the, the, the vision for First um, Hamilton to be transformed by the gospel and to, be, to participate with God in renewing all things, and how that plays out through these core values, these things that we see as being central to what gospel transformation looks like and what it takes— they are incredibly nitty-gritty. They're, they're so uh, involved in our daily lives. And so we're, what I, what I want to do is try to connect these things for us. And so as we look at, at, at prayer this morning, that's, that's the goal. How does, this, how does this impact us on Monday on our drive to work or when we encounter um, friends and colleagues or, you know, um, hanging out with our families in the evening or whatever. How does, how does being steadfast in prayer shape, that, shape my life as a, as a child of God, as a disciple, as an apprentice of Jesus? So that's, that's what, the, the, what, we're, what we're asking in, in this. Um, and we're looking at uh, Luke 11, which, which Owen read for us, which is a, a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer and then a few different uh, kind of teachings on prayer that are a little bit confusing to us. But first, what do we mean when we say steadfast prayer? So our core value at First Hamilton says, the good news of Jesus Christ has the ability to renew the world. Through prayer, we can participate with God in that mission. And so we are committed to prayer in all aspects of our communal and personal lives. For without prayer, we can achieve nothing. And so I hope that, that, that our, our, our church is embracing and embodying this. And I believe that, you know, with, with um, you know, Michael's prayer this morning and coming to God in confession, like we, we seek to be in our communal life to be shaped by prayer. Okay, but what about our personal lives? Okay? Because this is a powerful statement here. This is a very bold statement. And, and prayer is hard. And being steadfast in prayer is hard. Did you know that when you Google steadfast, do you know what comes up as an image? 
So there's an image, so there's two different images that come up. The one is lighthouse, and almost straight across the board, there's like, you know, the first 50 results are of a lighthouse being, you know, just barricaded with, um, with waves. The other image is Dwayne Johnson flexing. Those are the two images. But this one I, I, I thought was more appropriate for our, our sermon this morning. So um, those two things. But think about it. A lighthouse remains firm, grounded, right? Does not move despite the wildest waves and the storm that comes to it. Look at how high that wave is striking that lighthouse, yet it remains in the same place unchanging. But I have two images to share. Because though this is what our, our, our core value states, uh, I think oftentimes we get caught up in prayer in this way. So something cool that you can do is you can figure out how often and at what time people Google different things. And so when you, when you Google prayer, uh, which is the blue, and tragedy, which is the red, those two correspond with each other. Do you see the blips in the lines? So one of those is uh, shortly after the terrorist attacks in Paris, and the other is Las Vegas. We often have a response-oriented approach to prayer. Theologians call this grocery list praying. Okay, this means that we um, we tend to approach God when our need is great, when we know that we need Him. And I think two like interesting um, things from from something like this is that um, there is clearly an appetite in our culture for prayer. There's this this idea that we we need a power outside of our own when things come up that, that force us outside of our control. When we lose control of our lives, we, we, we try to cling for something. And a lot of people actually turn to prayer, even the non-religious people. It's an, uh, a kind of an interesting observation. But the second is that, that we, Jesus has so much more to teach us about prayer than about grocery list prayers. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Timothy Keller, he's, he has a wonderful book on prayer. He gives us kind of an overview of what prayer is, and he says this. Prayer is awe, intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality. There's nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. And so as we approach this text this morning, I think that there's good news for us in that, um, look at when this passage comes up. It's the 11th chapter. And so these disciples have already been walking with Jesus, theologians say, for about three years. Three years of being, uh, you know, living with this man day in and day out, hearing him teach about the kingdom of God and seeing lives being transformed. Something that characterized Jesus' life was prayer. And so the disciples would have seen him in prayer. And yet, at the 11th chapter, three years in, they still don't get it. And so it's okay for us to humbly come and to, to ask Jesus. Jesus, teach us to pray too. So three things that we're going to look at this morning that come through uh, this passage is the priorities of prayer, the attitude 
of prayer and the power to pray. And so first, as we look at the, the priority of prayer, uh, in ancient times, the way that this prayer starts would have been an absolute scandal. Right, so our translators translate this as Father, right, which, which we don't quite get because many of us don't actually use that word. I could probably count on my hand how many times I've said, Hello, Father. To my, like that's not that's not how we say it. But but what what Jesus is saying when he when he begins a prayer like this is he's he's using a Hebrew word that is the most endearing form of father that there is. So what? How do you address your dad when you are trying when you when you are sharing with him um, affection, love? What's that tone? What word do you use? What word do you want to use? That's what Jesus is starting this prayer with. The, the, the most uh, intimate word for father in the Hebrew language was Abba. Abba, which means like Papa or Daddy. That's how Jesus starts this. And... Um, Tim Keller, again, he talks about how this teaches us about how we approach prayer. Because he says there's two, there's two main ways to approach prayer. The one is a business model, and the other is the family model. The business model basically it says this, says, okay, um, you know, God, I have tried really hard. I've done my best, and so now you uh, answer my prayer. Hear my prayer and answer my prayer. And so it's very, very contractual, very, I've done this, I've held up my end of the bargain. And so now you hold up your end of the bargain. But that's, the, the term father completely blows this, uh, this model out of the water. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Because he is saying, you come, you come, to, the, you come to God in prayer as you would your own papa. You come to him in a family relationship. It's completely different. This is the posture of prayer. It's, it's not, um, I've done this, so answer. It's, I am your child, and so you will hear me. You know, uh, uh, for all the, the dads out there, you, like, you don't listen to your children because of what they've done for you. I know I have a one-year-old, but I, you know, he has done nothing for me other than look cute. He has, he's taken so much of my time and energy, and yet if he reaches his hands up, of course I'm going to pick him up because of who he is. He's my son, and I love him. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the posture of prayer that we have. But the very next phrase adds something to that. So, the first part of this prayer is talking about handing our lives over to God. And it starts with approaching God as, as, a, as, as our Father, as someone who loves us. The second part is saying, hallowed be your name. Now, just like Father, hallowed doesn't quite get at what, what the Hebrew is saying. So 
Hallowed is the same word that John uses in the book of Revelation when he's filled with an image of uh, the throne room of God and he's completely floored with the beauty of of God's glory and he sees those around the throne saying, what are they saying? They're saying, holy, 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 hallowed, hallowed, hallowed is your name. That's the word that Jesus uses here. It's, it's to describe God's glory. It's to describe who God is. But it's not a statement like, like we would expect it to be. It's not saying, okay, God, this is, this is who you are. You are holy. It's actually a command. It's, it's a command. It's an, it's an imperative in the language, which means that uh, Jesus is teaching us to pray, Father, be holy. Not, Father, you are holy. Father, be holy. And what commentators often say with this is that um, what, what we're, we're asking God, we're commanding God, we're, we're telling him to be true to who he is, who he's revealed himself to be, and who he says that he is in Scripture. Now, my wife's family has a saying for this. There's, um, so when I started dating Tracy, uh, when, when we would leave the house— Sometimes her parents would say, um, you know, be in ovens, be in ovens. And I had no, I had no idea what they were talking about until Tracy explained it to me. And she said, that's, that's my parents. They remind us, they remind us of who we are. As, you know, as we're leaving the house for school or as we're leaving the house to go to a party or whatever, they say, remember, you're in ovens. Because they know, they've been formed, they've been shaped by their parents. They know what it means when their parents say, be in ovens. They know that they've been raised to act and to be a certain way. This is what, this is what we do when we pray to God. We say, God, be true to who you say that you are. Be holy. The third thing in the first section is we... Is, of the prayer as we hand over our lives to God is when we pray, your kingdom come. Now this, uh, we don't often talk about kingdoms, and so it can be a little bit difficult to see what Jesus is getting at here. But uh, somebody I was reading this week uh, put it really well. He said, um, your kingdom come, the words your kingdom come, ask God to so rule that his purposes are fulfilled on earth. In a way, we say, make, make your priorities determine the desires and acts of everyone in the world. Now, I think for most of the time when we read this, we think, okay, this means that the, the part of the prayer when I pray for my neighborhood, for God's kingdom to come in my neighborhood, or for God's kingdom to come in uh, the life of Johnny, who doesn't know Jesus yet and needs God's, God, God to reveal himself to him. And that's true, but it's not quite what Jesus is getting at. Because that's not where the kingdom of God starts. I can still remember one of the interviews that I was in for being a, a candidate for being a pastor. And somebody asked me, they said, you know, Hayden, where does the kingdom of God start? And I may have shared this with you before, but where does the kingdom of God start? And it, it stumped me. I, I'd never thought about that before. And he said, it, it starts here. It starts in your heart. 
And then it flows from, from your heart to transform how you see the world and how you act in the world. But it starts in here. And it starts in every person in their heart. This, when we pray God's kingdom come, we're praying it first for us. God, may your kingdom come in my life. In my life. It starts there. You know, the, the Holy Spirit begins to transform our heart from the inside out. It's like, you know, the old Camaro in the Transformers movie that, you know, from the inside just completely changes into this incredible war machine. That's, that's what praying God's kingdom come. We're giving him permission to rearrange our lives. I think this is the linchpin of the prayer. This is the most vulnerable part of the Lord's Prayer, because we are giving God permission to transform us. And that's a scary thing to do. This is, if you think about it, this is why we need to pray, Abba. You know, we need to know that God is our Father who loves us and not a contractual God who we have to please. It's scary to let somebody who you have to work hard to please, let kind of rearrange your own, your, your life and the deepest parts about you. But your father, who you know, loves you. You can trust to do this because he is hallowed. He is sanctified and he is true to his name. Do you see how this works? The second part of the prayer is Jesus teaching us the way forward, relying on him. And each of these petitions uh, give us the day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. These are praying God's character in our own lives. And it's summed up for us, this actually comes from Proverbs chapter 30, where uh, it says, uh, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither rich, poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. Or I may, may be, and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, that's why we pray for daily bread and not daily steak. Because if we pray for daily steak, we may think, I have earned this daily steak and forget who God is. But if we have no bread, then we might become upset with God. You see how this works? Daily bread is just what we need for the day. Lord, I am relying on you. I am relying on you to sustain me. That's why it's so important to pray for bread. And this isn't to say that we don't, don't pray to God honestly and pray for the things that the desires of our heart, because he says that in the very next section of, of, of teaching on prayer is, you know, you, you have not because you ask not. So ask and bug him for it. But we have to remember that, that we pray God's character into our lives. We pray for our daily bread so that we rely on him for everything. So the priority of prayer then with these two things is, is focused on handing over the keys of our life to God and relying on him moving forward. That's what, how the Lord's prayer is structured. But what's the attitude of prayer? 
And here's where it gets really interesting, because Jesus goes on to tell us a story, which is quite a confusing story. It's a story about a guy who has a guest come at midnight and has nothing to offer him. And so goes and asks his neighbor to help him out, to to give him some bread so that he has a meal to ask. And uh, this misses how our culture operates. And so we often don't understand what Jesus is saying. But um, what Jesus is saying in this parable is, is that he's, he's, he's getting at the absolute rudeness of this guy. We have to remember that this was an honor and shame culture that Jesus was living in. So the, the, the motivation for doing things was on what brings me honor? I want to do those things. And what brings me shame? I want to avoid those things. What brings a person honor is being hospitable to anybody who shows up at your door. And actually, often people would show up at midnight because they would travel in uh, cooler times. They wouldn't travel in the heat of the day. They would travel when it's cooler at night. And so somebody showing up at midnight was more common than we would think. And not having something to offer this person was very shameful. And so this man who has this guest come and has nothing to offer him and is, is worried about being put to shame because of not offering hospitality goes to their neighbor. Now, another thing is that you would not, uh, once you were down for the night in these one-room homes that uh, people lived in, you, your whole family would sleep in the same room, in the same bed. And so when you were down for the night, you wouldn't get up because it would wake up the whole house and it would just not be fun for anyone. Nobody wants their whole family up at midnight. And so uh, when Jesus is saying this, he's, he's saying, you know, this going to somebody else's house and asking is actually a, a shameful thing in itself. It's bringing shame to you that you have to come and ask for help at midnight. But, but the person who's sleeping, the person who has bread to offer and to share does share because they don't want to be put to shame either. So there's like three different things, cultural things that are at play here. And the reason why this person who's sleeping at midnight gets up and helps the person is because of the man who's knocking on his door, asking for help for his shameless audacity, because he doesn't care about what is happening to his name by banging on this guy's door. And so he, he gets what he asks for because of his shameless audacity. And Jesus says, pray like this. Pray in a way where you think, that makes me uncomfortable. I, I, can't, I can't ask God for that. I can't pray like that. I can't bug God like that. Jesus says, you can, because God won't let his name be put to shame. So he will give you what you ask for. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. And be persistent. That's the attitude. Be persistent about it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Someone I was reading this week said, annoy God, annoy God with your longings and desires. 
So that's the attitude of prayer. But where do we get the power to pray like this? Where do we get the power to trust God with our lives? How can we pray honestly, your kingdom come in my heart and in my world? Where do we get the power to pray like this? C.S. Lewis uh, gives an illustration in his book, Mere Christianity, about us being a house. And he says this, imagine yourself living in a house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting, at the dra- getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed to get done. So you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in ways that hurt and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? See, I think we arrive at a point like this in prayer often. You know, when we see God's kingdom coming in our lives in ways that make sense, in our world, in ways that make sense. That's okay. But the real test of steadfast prayer is, is how do we get the power to pray when things stop making sense? How can we get the power to pray when, when it seems like God's actually hurting us? When he's ripping us apart and giving us no reason for it, when our work lays us off, when our children disown us, when it feels like God's knocking us about in ways that make no sense to me, how can we pray, God, may your kingdom come? We have to, in these moments, look to the cross. Because we get the power to be in steadfast prayer only from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect image of the Father. He is, he is God's kingdom come on earth. And he lived that way. But he knew, he knew that God's vision for his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven was, was far greater far bigger than anything that he could do on his own. And so he prayed in the garden, right? He prayed with persistence. He prayed, Father, be true to your name. Your kingdom come. Not my will be done. Your kingdom come. And where did it take him? Where did it take him? It took him to the cross. You see, Lewis says, you know, what happens when God starts knocking us about in ways that don't make sense to us and that hurt us? Well, God knocked Christ about in a way that didn't just hurt him. It killed him. Killed him. And he did it for us. He did it for us. He did it so that Lewis's quote can continue. Lewis says, what on earth is God up to? The answer is that he's building 
quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. See, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace that he is going to come and live in himself. And guess what? Because Jesus died, because Jesus rose again, because he's ascended on high and has given us his Holy Spirit, he lives in each one of us, and he is rebuilding us, remaking us into a palace. Do you believe that? Can I get an amen? This is the power of prayer. It comes from seeing Jesus Christ, our, our Savior and Lord, who, was, who died, was buried, descended to hell, rose again from the dead, victorious over the grave, ascended to heaven, gives us his Holy Spirit to make us new. Steadfast prayer comes from rooting ourselves in Jesus Christ and seeing the Holy Spirit come to work in our lives. And we know we can trust him to rebuild us because he was destroyed so that he could do this. So we can enter into our lives every day, steadfastly in prayer, trusting that what God has done, he will continue to work. He will continue renovating us until we are made perfect in his image. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for teaching us how to pray. Lord, we know that there is so much in this passage that we didn't get to. That this is a passage and a teaching that takes years and years to dig and drill down to. We pray that you would give us persistence to keep doing this. Lord, when our when your kingdom in our lives doesn't make sense, when it calls us into places that we are just totally unsure where they lead or what you're doing and how you can be involved in this, Lord, we pray that you would give us uh, your Holy Spirit that would assure us, that would give us the power to look to you and to see that you have paid the ultimate price so that we uh, can see your kingdom come and that it will make us uh, all new. Lord, help us to participate in uh, this, uh, this mission of your kingdom coming on earth through prayer. Help us to be steadfast in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.